call me Fishmail, as whaling fraud and business email compromise hits $12.5 billion worldwide, we release a new research report that dives into the different ways that criminals are looking to gain access to accounting and finance inboxes. All on this week's Shadow Talk. Happy Friday, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk. Joining me this week, we've got Raphael Amado. Hello, Raph. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm pretty good, thanks. Yeah, back from yeah, Dallas. How was your trip in Dallas? Yeah. Yeah, very barbecue heavy and went to the Texas State Fair. So I I think I've taken about a year off my life with all the fried food we had there. You count yourself now as a Texan? Or are you still a Brit at heart? <laughs> I'm, I'm just a Brit that's a little bit more free. But, right, let's talk about business email compromise because today, or I should say yesterday, we released a research report on business email compromise and the different ways in which attackers can gain access to the sensitive information that sits within these inboxes. Did you want to talk a little bit about the impetus behind the report? Sure. So the paper focuses on how threat actors are targeting email inboxes and email file archives. So either as standalone targets or as part of larger attacks. And the paper was sort of born out of a lot of recent research that we've been doing. And a lot of this research has been on business email compromise and how organizations can then protect themselves against these types of attacks. So recently, for example, we did a webinar with a member of the FBI cyber squad, specifically looking at recent trends in business email compromise. Now, one of these trends, which is not necessarily recent, but it's being reported more and more, is for business email compromise to be performed by attackers who compromise a business email, so they actually gain access to it. They then perform reconnaissance on that inbox. So they look through attachments, they look at all the contacts, they see where the money moves around and to whom, and then they use that reconnaissance to then send requests to other employees because they actually have access to that email account. Now, we thought this was particularly interesting as a line of research and wanted to find out how attackers were compromising these inboxes in the first place, so what techniques they were using, what they typically looked for, etc. And then what became clear from all of this is that traditional phishing techniques are not the only method that attackers use to compromise an email uh, inbox or an email archive. You can access the contents on, on these inboxes in other ways. And once you know that there are many different ways of doing this, you realize that the ramifications for organizations who are trying to defend themselves are actually quite uh, diverse. So that's sort of the impetus behind the paper. Yeah, and I think just adding to that, some of the things that organizations can do about it are, are very achievable. So I think there's some silver lining to the to the news here, and we'll come on to some mitigation advice for that. Definitely, definitely. It's not it's not like a doom and gloom paper. I mean, some of the figures we've we've put in the paper are quite quite striking. Um, that's because we're looking at things on a global scale a lot of the time as well. But definitely, as you say, it's when we look at the mitigation, we realize actually some of these mitigation techniques are very manageable. It's just about making sure that you know all the different processes you need to do and taking them off appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think we should dive in because it, it divides in nicely into three parts. And the first way in which you might gain access to these inboxes and the contents of them without having to have a long phishing campaign 
is through paying for access. That's the first one. So you go to the criminal community and try and outsource it. And let's talk about that a little bit. There's also account takeovers. So reusing previously exposed credentials of these accounting inboxes and then actually gaining access like you just mentioned. But then also there's a bunch of already exposed email archives, uh, 12.5 million of them uh, through online misconfigured file stores. So I think we'll talk about those three aspects, but starting with the paying for access in the criminal underground, this was also one of the reasons I think why we ended up writing a paper on it was our our team of analysts, our Russian-speaking human, engaged with a uh, an individual who was looking to uh, orchestrate this business email compromise campaign. And they went over to a Jabba conversation where they specified a list of 100, about 100 targets. And these targets were pretty dispersed globally. We're used to seeing a lot of things in the US. So there was a little bit of that there. But it also targeted specifically UK, Australia, uh, Singapore countries. And specifically within those, it was construction, uh, property management, like asset management, but focused on property and lots of public services and, and organizations like that. And the individual was looking specifically for accounting and finance emails and access to those. So specifying receivables at, um, accounts at, emails like that, and they're offering a, a good amount of money for those. Sometimes you see it's a, it's a bulk sum. So you can say, right, give me a couple of thousand dollars for these. But actually, in this case, it was a more of a, a business arrangement. So you had the person offering about 20% of the cut of how much money they could make from business email compromise campaigns. And that would go back to the person that gave them access to the accounts originally. So essentially, this threat actor was asking for help. They wanted someone to be able to provide them with access to these specific types of inboxes that they wanted and they were specifically going going after finance and accounting departments then i assume what they wanted to do was to perform a business email compromise attack on these targets and from the money that they would make by asking people to request to wire funds to them they would then pass off a percentage of that to the original person who provided them with access to the email Is that right? yeah yeah exactly and i think you can by targeting specific clusters of sectors in specific areas, you can get a really good idea of the contracts and the payments that are continually flowing back and forth. And that's a real opportunity to make some some large amounts of money. Yeah, uh, that's what I really liked about this case study as well, because so yeah, this is just one particular case study of one particular Russian-speaking actor. Um, and usually when we talk about business email compromise, I mean, the recent FBI IC3 report that came out in um, they put out a little alert in, in July, I think it was, on business email compromise. And they said how how global a phenomenon it is, but they were specifically talking about how financial services are often one of the main targets. And that's not a surprise. Look at the sensitive information they hold, the financial information that they hold, the large amount of uh, wire transfers and different payments that they make on a daily basis. They're a very good target for business email compromise. On the other hand, what this case study is highlighting is A, not all of it is going on in North America. There's other countries around the world. This is a very global problem. But B, maybe some industries that we maybe didn't think about as being prime targets for business income compromise. We're talking about public services, construction, real estate, property management, asset management. But in reality, they can also be targets. So I think it really shines a light on how 
this is a much broader issue than maybe a lot of people have thought about before. Yeah, I mean, essentially any inboxes which will have these sensitive contractual and invoices and payment related emails are a huge target. And I'm sure you'll have seen the news about Lazio Football Club, who uh, fell foul to such approach where somebody somehow got the their hands on the information of a particular loan deal and were able to send uh, a, a very convincing spoof email to them, which said, right, your your installation for the loan payment of this particular player is due. Please transfer two and a half million euros into this account and it'll all be fine. And, and they uh, actually they paid that installment, didn't they? Yeah, they did in the end, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I think, as you say, it just demonstrates how much broader it is than just financial. Yeah, and then this this interest in corporate accounts, particularly of accounting and finance departments, re- reflected in the broader criminal community. So you've got lots of forums where people are requesting specifically these emails of corporate accounts in order to perform such fraudulent transactions. And you've got people requesting these, offering thousands of dollars for just single sets of credentials and that's in contrast to the the general huge amount of credentials for different services which are traded on these forums and then it's no surprise that with so many people looking to buy these services that you've got people offering kind of as a service service corporate credentials and those can go from anything from 150 dollars upwards i mean we shouldn't be surprised that there's an as a service model for this i mean it's just like everything now online has an as-a-service offering. But what it does show is that there's a very variegated and tiered ecosystem when it comes to the capabilities of attackers and the sort of the amount of effort they're willing to put in. So on the one end of the scale, you've got an attacker who's able to perform an account compromise or a business email compromise attack on their own. And then you have these more aspiring actors with weaker capabilities who are requesting more skilled actors help them or going to a business partnership with them, perform the initial email account compromise for them, and then they can start giving them a particular cut of the commission or something like that. So there's a market for this type of thing. Um, the demand is there in the market and the as-a-service models are are out there to meet this demand. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's specifically looking at the types of credentials that are offered for sale. Um, obviously, you've got CEO and CFO credentials, and those are understandably very appealing. And I think organizations will be taking this very seriously already but one thing that was striking and perhaps we'll move on to the account takeover section next was that there's so many accounting so accounts at receivables at invoices at type of emails which are exposed through third parties and i think should be considering those as as important as the ceo and cfo's emails that are exposed um, through third party services yeah definitely i think when we get to the third section as well we're talking about exposed file sharing services, that theme of third parties, suppliers, contractors, um, that will really come to the fore as well. So we can talk about that in a little bit as well. Okay. We've talked about how criminals are offering and requesting different types of corporate emails in order to perform their various different business email compromise scams online. But one of the second things and most important things I want to talk about is the findings around credential compromise and how that facilitates account takeover of these particular emails. So we thought it would be a great opportunity given through our human engagement and what we've seen on the forums of people asking specifically for these accounting inboxes 
we thought it'd be great to have a look and see where they're exposed in our credential repository. So we looked across, got about just shy of 300,000 individual separate breaches in there. So about 5 billion credentials. And then we look to see where these accounts at, receivables at, so on and so forth are cropping up. Um, running those, you've got about 80,000 credentials. Um, and so we went through and removed your kind of Gmail, Hotmail, any ones that look like personal accounts, and then G-duplicated them. So we got to about 33,000 credentials in total which for me i was actually pretty surprised at that number yeah definitely because i think what we've got to remember is this is just specifically looking at the accounting and the finance departments and in many organizations that would just be maybe one email account or two so yeah we're talking about multiple of thousands there and these are just ones available publicly or in breach data sets or in data sets that are being offered in closed forums or in criminal marketplaces, criminal forums being traded online. These include historic breaches out there, some of the big major ones that we know of, but then also much smaller ones. So yeah, there's a there's a lot in there. Yeah, and about 80% of them had credentials associated with them. And we all know that we shouldn't be reusing passwords across third-party services, but I think we should ask ourselves, should we be signing up for third-party services with these accounting and finance email addresses in the first place? Uh, and I think that was kind of a, a question that rises out of this research. So, Mike, you explained the methodology about how you use the data breach repository, but you also did some things in terms of working with top-level domains to try and provide a breakdown of how how this sort of exposure of these different credentials plays out according to region, right? Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to just get an idea of obviously there's the majority are .com domains. So about 18,000 of them were were there. But then also we saw .co.uk with about 5,000, .au, so Australia, another 5,000. And then pretty much every country was represented to a smaller or lesser extent. Um, strikingly for me, I, I saw the education, uh, 120-odd. And then government as well. So 24, that may not sound like a lot, but the fact that 24.gov domains that were accounting related is is surprising for me. Yeah, and that's I think that's the thing to draw out. It's these are specifically finance or accounts departments within these organizations. So, so yeah, that's why the numbers aren't in the hundreds of thousands. But actually, considering how specific we're, we're talking about here, it's it's still a high level of exposure. Yeah. And if these get to the stage where somebody can perform an account takeover on these accounts on your email, the type of information they can gain access to is pretty damn sensitive. Let's go on and talk about the final area of this, and that is the information that's already exposed. So if you've got people offering different ways of gaining access to these accounts, you've got information such as credentials that's already exposed. How about we talk about the actual inboxes that are freely available to anybody to look at? Yeah, so as we've done, we've talked about the first two methods there, but the reality of the situation is that Actors don't even need to pay for access or try their luck with compromised credentials a lot of the time. So what we did was in similar vein to one of our previous research papers, the Too Much Information paper, which we released in, in the spring, we decided to look across misconfigured file sharing services such as Anonymous FTP, SMB and RSync to see whether organizations and individuals were exposing their entire email inbox archives. And guess what, Mike? Of course they are. So... All in all, we discovered 
over 12.5 million email files available on these stores. And the way we did that is we looked for particular email file formats. So talking here about file formats such as EML, MSG, PST, MBOX, OST. Now, for the nerdy listeners here, so EML is a file extension for email messages saved to a file um, in a standard format used by Microsoft Outlook Express. MSG is also used by Microsoft Outlook and Exchange. Uh, PST stands for personal storage table. So that again is Outlook data files used on webmail accounts. OST is Outlook data files as well. And they're used when you have an Exchange account. And then MBOX stands for mailbox. And this is the most common format for storing email messages on a hard drive. So these are very specific formats used for email files. So we decided to look for them specifically. And as I said, 12 and a half million files exposed across these services. And this number is just rising every day as we scan and find more and more examples of these. Yeah, and it's the type of information that sits with them as well that makes it really important. Yeah, definitely. So we wanted to see how many of these files pertain to financial or accounting information. So we searched for references for terms such as accounts payable, purchase order, payment, invoice, tax return, you know, very specific uh search terms that we know would be found on financial documents. And we found over 50,000 files exposed in this way. Now, another thing that was fairly interesting was the geographical distribution here. So this really highlights how global the level of exposure is. Although the distribution itself was pretty much as expected. We had uh, the US, North America, the EU and APAC being the major areas for exposure. I mean, in certain areas of the world, we just don't have as much visibility. Um, but yeah, as expected, just getting some figures up now. So like Europe, for across Europe, over 5.2 million files exposed. Across North America, 2.9 million. And then Asia Pacific, 1.9. And that figure's going up and up. So that geographical distribution shows how this is a worldwide thing. Yeah, and even within those files, there's just so much information. So if you're looking at one PSD file, there's potentially a lot of information in there. And so if you go and look at one particular one, you can see that actually it was one accounting firm backing up their correspondence with all of their kind of 100 clients that they worked with and all of that correspondence freely available. So that included tax return information and a bunch of other sensitive stuff. And as we have seen, I don't know whether we've talked about it in this pod, but one of the huge things that business email compromise campaigns go after is actually tax return information. It's not just all about wiring fraud. Exactly. It's also about sensitive documents. So you might, uh, so one one scenario in the business email compromise range of sort of technique uh, methods is, so you obviously have someone impersonating a CEO or impersonating an accountant or an employee, but sometimes you have people impersonating someone like a legal representative and they say, look, I need these sensitive documents over stat and they'll send them over. So yeah, as you said, it's about sensitive documents as well as just wiring funds. And that particular example, yeah, was was really striking. It had thousands of invoices and tax returns of all their clients, obviously not a good look for them. But it's not just businesses that are affected. We also found personal information on these services as well. So this is probably something a lot of people do, but we discovered full passport scans and supporting documents that people had stored in their email inboxes. And I know myself in the past, and I know friends have always done it. You go on holiday and you're like, I oh, know I'm going to email a copy of my passport, all my details to myself to make sure in case something happens, I have it backed up somewhere. 
But then if that's going on and misconfigured, NAS drive or file sharing service, then obviously that again is just playing into an attacker's hand. We, we've seen so many examples of how lucrative and how many attackers want to sell identity information, passport information, health records, whatever it might be, and there's a market for it online. So if this is just freely available and people just have those in their archives, then we're just making cyber criminals' lives much, much easier. Yeah, so particularly for those using NAS drives and you've got to be aware of the risks. Adding a password and disabling guests and anonymous access is pretty good advice. Yeah, and I think one issue that this research particularly highlights is the risk posed by third parties and contractors, which I sort of mentioned before. Now, these these individuals are often forgotten about by businesses and security teams when it comes to defending their network and their data. Um, so often a short-term worker will come in, they'll do work, they'll do projects, they'll back up their files and emails on personal NAS drives at home, and maybe they'll leave this misconfigured, which is a lot of the examples that we see when we perform our scans on these misconfigured services. So this is really a reminder that third parties should receive the same security awareness training as normal employees. They should be monitored the same way to avoid facilitating email compromises and business email compromise attacks. Um, so this, this issue goes beyond the email account compromises as well. I think businesses just need to have a better understanding of where all their sensitive data resides, who has access to it, how are they storing it, and if they're leaving it exposed. And third parties and suppliers are an important component of this as well that shouldn't be forgotten. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think we provide some mitigation advice at the final section of the paper. So do download that to find out more. Are there any particular areas that you want to highlight? I, I don't suggest we go through every area. So you mentioned the the things you can do for FTP, RSIC and SMB, the strong passwords, fire on the, the port off from the internet, if it needs to be on the internet without a passport, password, sorry, make sure you whitelist the IP, um, which are, which well, are expressly... passports on your mind. <laughs> are you worried about where you may have backed up your passport? No, luckily I, I've changed that now. I'm, I'm all clean now, Mike. <laughs> but I'm obviously spending too much time on cyber criminal forums and marketplaces where everyone's after ID documents and passports. <laughs> but yeah, um, those, those are the main ones in terms of file sharing services. But if we're talking about business email compromise more more generally, there's certain things as an organization I think you really need to be aware of. So update your security awareness training to include business email compromise. Train your new hires on this scenario. Then also the same way we've talked a lot in the pod before about ransomware playbooks or destructive malware playbooks, incident response plans, business continuity planning. You should do the same thing for business email compromise. What happens if someone unfortunately wires some funds to the wrong person, how will you respond? And then probably one of the most important things is working with your wire transfer application vendors and building in manual controls, multiple person authorizations to approve significant wire transfers. And having these multiple processes, needing multiple people to approve a particular payment, that's really going to put up the barriers and put more obstacles in the way of a business email compromise attacker who's just going to try and contact one of your, your accounts department and ask them to wire funds. Oh, and another thing I want to add is, so although we know attackers can bypass multi-factor authentication, it will obviously still make it harder for attackers. So it's important to use it where available. And this is just a general rule whenever we're talking about account credentials, compromises, how to shore them up. Similarly, and as we talked about before, attackers may actually create a spoof domain of yours, which will make it harder 
to have all your email controls in place. That said, email authentication standards such as DMARC, DKIM and SPF can help you recognize fraudulent emails that are purporting to come from your domain. So SPF controls who is allowed to send from your domain. DKIM ensures that sent emails are authenticated and DMARC what others should do about reporting spoofing attempts. Of course, this will not help against attackers spoofing domains with a variation on the original domain, but in aggregation, they're all pretty good things to employ. Amazing stuff. That's some great advice. Thank you, Raf. I think we are at the the top of the hour, and so we'll have to call it a day for now. But thank you so much. Um, And for listeners, download a copy of the report. We'll provide a link for that in the podcast description.